Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. Samuel chapter 3. First Samuel chapter 3. When Pastor Nathan preached a couple of weeks ago from First Samuel chapters 1 and 2, I thought, oh man, he's preaching on Father's Day. I hope he doesn't go to First Samuel 3 because that's where I'm headed. And I almost texted him that he don't go there, but um, I didn't. So I did tell him this morning that I listened to one of his messages he preached uh, several years ago. And uh, I just gave him the title. I said, I'm going to name my title tonight, Stay Off My Air Hose, or Get Off the Air Hose, Air Tube, or something, whatever it was that his title, but I won't tell the joke because it was not good. So, <laughs> First Samuel chapter 3 tonight. Follow along with me as I read the Word of God, read through the first few verses here together, and then we'll open in prayer and dig into the truth of God's Word. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. And one of the saddest statements in Scripture right here. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow dim, so dim that he could not see, And before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, Eli, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Let's open with a word of prayer tonight. Lord, as we open your word, I pray that our hearts would be open to it and receptive. Mine is the preacher, the audience as the listeners, that, Lord, your spirit would truly speak and would have power in this place tonight. God, I pray that you would help us to look at your word accurately so that we could apply it appropriately. Father, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. As my kids have been preparing to go to camp these past few weeks, Eddie was doing the Scripture Memory Scholarship, participating in that with the Ignite, uh, the youth group, and, and doing the things that they've done with uh, memorizing the book of James. It's, 
made me contemplate and ponder a lot about what camp should mean to me as a father as well as for my children. I've often thought about my experiences of going to camp. I remember the first time I went to camp as a junior higher and absolutely hating it. I did not have a good experience. I did not like the camp that we went to. I won't talk about that camp as my perception has definitely changed as my maturity. But I did not have a good experience at that camp and I, didn't, I really honestly can't remember anything from that camp. I never wanted to go back. Then a few summers later, the Lord opened the door for our church. At that time, we had planted a church in Queen Creek and the Lord opened a door for us to go to a different camp. That camp I loved. I remember the week being a smaller week, an enjoying week. I'm I'm in my 10th, 11th grade years of high school and just being impacted by the time away from the hustle and bustle of life, even as a teenager, of doing nothing, to just being saturated with the word of God and with good friends. And I remember the games that we played, the different activities that we participated in, and the relationships that we began to build with other people that were there. Those were great, those were great, I, then I've reflected, sorry, I'm reading my own intro here. I then reflected on my summer between my freshman and sophomore year of college as a camp counselor in Northern California. That was probably my greatest memory of camp. It changed the whole perspective of the purpose of camp for me as not just a participant in camp, but now the agent that's helping part- facilitate camp. And having to participate with different kids every week and doing different activities. I wasn't, the camp that we had was much smaller, so we didn't have, like Ironwood does, a junior camp and a teen camp running at the same time. It was different weeks for different things. And I remember having to navigate different types of personalities and different types of children all the time. Each week was really different. To even include one week where we did a very special needs camp and having to operate with, you know, 35, 40 year olds who are special needs. And it was, I mean, a blast. And I remember coming home after that summer, coming back to college with a changed view of who God was in my life. I think about now where my kids are. It's hard for me to believe that I have two kids going to camp. And Darren reminded me before the service that a third will be going next year. And I think to myself, how can I have gotten so old? But not that I just have two kids going to camp, but one that's going to teen camp this year. That's impossible because I'm only 22. (laughs) I think about the fun games they're going to play. I think about the relationships they're going to develop as they work and play and interact with kids that are the same age, engaged in different camp activities. I think about the focal points of their time at Ironwood to be in the word of God several times throughout the day. The preaching in chapels, the personal devotional books they work through each day, the cabin devotions they have each night before the lights go off. And as they load the bus, I remind them to make good choices and to stay out of trouble. I tell them I look forward to hearing the stories of the fun things they got to do and experience. And that I look forward to hearing how God has worked in their hearts through their time at camp through his word. I wonder, though, how many of us as parents have encouraged our kids to pray the simple but yet rich, deep 
prayer that Eli tells Samuel to pray here in 1 Samuel 3. And as they load the bus to go, have fun, do right, but above all, commit to letting the word of God speak to your heart this week and follow his voice with a speak, Lord, for your servant hears. I wonder how many of us would make a habit of praying that prayer on a daily basis. This text is often seen as a passage of surrender to the Lord in a sense of a one-time vocational aspect, and it is. However, this text is not a passage that is just a one-time surrender, but a daily approach to the Word of God that each of us ought to have. We should approach the Word of God with a speak, Lord, for your servant hears every time we open God's Word. Tonight, I want us to see just how impactful this prayer has on the life of a little boy, that of Samuel, and how impactful this prayer can have on your own personal walk with the Lord, as well as your family's walk with the Lord. Tonight, you must make the prayer, speak, Lord, your servant hears a daily prayer. Looking from the text, we'll find that failure to do so will, number one, result in the silence of God in your life. I'd mentioned as I read through the text here in verse 1, one of the saddest descriptions that could be said here in all of the Word of God, and the Word of God was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. The context of 1 Samuel chapter 3 is Samuel is, is a little boy working alongside of Eli as we met with Pastor Nathan brought out in chapters 1 and 2 when, in, when Hannah prayed for a son and God granted her, her the, the desire of her heart to give the prayer, to, to give Samuel as her child, her desire was that he, she would give him back to the Lord. No questions asked, no holding on, no strings attached to say, God, this is your child and I will give him back to you. And Eli begins, after he's weaned, he starts working alongside of, of Eli. In the, Samuel begins to work alongside Eli in the, in, the, in the temple, in the synagogue. And he does the daily routines. But he's not met with just a all is good with God mentality. He's met with two boys who desire to really taint the work of the ministry to taint the, what, what the work of the ministry looks like, what service to God is to look like. Chapter 2 tells us and describes that, that Hophni and Phinehas had no desire to know the Lord. I imagine maybe the questions that got asked of, of Eli from Samuel, that oftentimes a seven, eight, nine-year-old boy would typically ask, how come they get to and I don't? Or how come I have to always be over here when this is happening? Why can't I just observe? Scripture doesn't really tell us the interaction of where Samuel was in the midst of the, of the synagogue, except probably that he was close by Eli's side most of the time. And probably somewhat for Eli's sake of sheltering Samuel from his wicked sons. This section depicts Samuel's transformation from being a boy to a prophet. In this text, he's probably somewhere between eight and ten. And he's about to take on some great responsibility. I can't imagine 
my eight-year-old Joey being in these shoes. Joey's just a happy-go-lucky boy. Ignorant to a lot of things in life, and luckily, I'm happily so. I'm happy to have him ignorant to most things at eight years old. But the, the reality of what God's going to do in Samuel's life here at eight to ten years old is going to change the course of Israel. It's going to have an impact, and it's going to impact Eli and his boys. He goes from being a juvenile ignorant of the Lord to one who functioned as the Lord's impeccable and revered spokesman. It leads us to ask, as we look at chapter 3, verse 1, the, voice of, the word of God was rare in those days. We can make the correlation and the response that in today's society, we don't have to have that same response in our life. So how was the word of God heard? Well, tonight we're looking at his word, number one. We hear it through his word. And in all reality, it's not that the Lord did not want to speak to Israel, but that Israel was unwilling to hear and to listen. Their hearts were hardened. We just finished up the book of Judges as it relates into into chapter 3 here. It's still in that same chronological aspect. That Israel did all that was right in their own eyes. I'm sure that Samuel kind of knew the pattern. That when Israel would do what was right in their own eyes, God would lead them into captivity. And then through that captivity, they would then surrender their hearts to the Lord and confess themselves, God, we need you. And God would then uh, would, would bring and grant victory. And the cycle happened over and over and over again. But the hardness of Israel's heart said that God went silent. The spiritual leaders were more concerned about themselves than about fostering a place for the Lord to feel welcome. God was calling but no one wanted to pick up the phone. We have a hard copy in our hands at which our disposal to which God does not need to be silent. God, our maker, knows all about us before we say anything. But we can know nothing about him unless he tells us. Here, therefore, is a a further reason why God speaks to us, not only to move us to do what he wants, but to enable us to know him so that we may love him. Therefore, God sends his word to us in the character of both information and invitation. It comes to woo us as well as to instruct us. It not merely puts us in the picture of what God has done and is doing, but also calls us into personal communion with him, our loving Lord himself. We have access to the Word of God in so many various fashions, whether it's electronic, using version, Logos, Olive Tree, eSword, Sermon Audio, etc. You type in Bible in your iPhone app or your app store, whether it's Android or iPhone, and you're going to have several different options that will pull up. So it asks the question then, then how does God's voice go silent today? I think there's various, a number of reasons to why God's word goes silent, or the voice of God goes silent in our life. Number one, when sin is unconfessed and unrepented. I mentioned the time that when I, between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I got to go work at a camp in Northern California. My birthday happens to be in the summertime. And so um, my mom, she's here tonight, my mom happened to send me a gift for my birthday while I was at camp. 
And I remember opening that gift. I remember telling her at one point before the summer happened that, that I was interested in a, pers- a particular study Bible. I wanted a study Bible for my own. I had a specific one that I liked, but I also, I, I just like collecting them. I like having them, learning different things and, and hearing, seeing different people's perception of, of God's word. And I wanted this particular one. And so I was extremely ecstatic when I got that gift from my mom and I opened it up and here it was, the study Bible that I had asked for. And I remember opening the front cover and my mom had written a little inscription on there, not her own words, somebody else. But I also, it it is stuck in my mind and I can still see it on the page today. And she wrote on the front cover that sin or this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. Folks, that's what sin does. It takes away our desire. It sucks the desire of our hearts out from wanting a relationship and a fellowship with the Lord to craving our own lust. And that phrase has been etched in my mind and I wish I could say that I've never let it impact my heart and my life and the reality is I have at times let sin impact my my time and my communion with the Lord. But the reality is when we confess our sin, we get that that relationship restored and the fellowship is restored again. Samuel or Eli is a good testament of this, what sin has done and the consequences of his family. Never underestimate the power of sin in a family. Eli's sons needed discipline, but he pampered them instead. This, as we'll see later in the text, will cost him his life and eventually cost the family the priesthood. The silence of God is more likely to come after great spiritual victories. It's in those great spiritual victories where we're dependent upon God in our life and we feel the, the need to call upon God and we feel refreshed in our relationship with God. And then at some point in, our, in those times of victory, we feel like, God, I've got this. I can handle this. Thanks for what you did, but now it's up to me. I can handle this. And we begin to hold up our own britches and think, I've got, I can control the situation. And we put the word of God away. Or I've gotten enough that I need for now. And God, when I need you again, I'll call upon you. Silence is more likely to come when we're tired. When I'm not as interested in reading the word of God because my schedule is too busy that it doesn't afford me the opportunity or the time to open to have fellowship with my Lord. Silence is more likely to come when we are isolated when I feel like nobody else is around or nobody else can come and feel the the anguish that I'm in or nobody else understands the things that I'm going through, we begin to have a pity party for ourselves as opposed to opening the word of God and letting him speak and encourage and challenge our hearts. All of those examples above are really when we place ourselves out of the word of God and they oftentimes lead us to ask the question, God, where are you? We think in those moments that God has left us, but the reality is no. God says, I'm still here in my word. Open it, read, be challenged and encouraged. Confess your sin, repent, turn to me, grow in my knowledge and love. What are some of the evidences though of God's silenced voice in our life. I think these are some of the ways that we see the silence of God or can illustrate and understand 
that we are having, experiencing the silenced voice of God in our life. When we're short-tempered with our spouse or our kids. That when I let my anger overrule and nitpick some details, constant bickering and fighting in our homes. I don't doubt that many of us have experienced that with, our, with teenagers or younger kids. When you have more than one kid in the house, you're bound to have some bickering and fighting. You ask, my, you ask my mom about stories of my sister and I when we were kids. There was definitely a lot of bickering and fighting. And that's not to say that the bickering and fighting is a testimony of God's silence in our life, but it, when it's the habit of all of us as a family. That dad, when you are leading the pack with bickering and fighting, then you're setting the example for the rest. When there's lack of joy or contentment, when I look around at others and I see the things that they have and I just desire and I desire and I desire and I begin to ask God, how come they get all those things and I don't get anything? Or how come it's always this way, God? How come you always have to make my life so hard? And I look at Joe's life over there, and man, Joe's life over there just seems so easy. And yet, we don't find our contentment and our joy in the things of who God is and how he describes himself. We find our joy and contentment in other things. We begin to see, uh, experience the silence of God. Pride. <clears throat> when pride gets in the way of our service, Man, I can't believe that pastor would ask me to, to do that type of a chore. Who does he think he is? I mean, doesn't he know my skill set? Or sometimes the opposite, the motivation behind our service. Man, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to let everybody, I mean, they're going to see how spiritual I really am. When I participate in this activity, in this ministry, I mean, it's going to be top-notch, and the, every, I mean, everybody in our church is going to know who but on the smile on my face, it's, well, praise the Lord. That's just a facade. Oftentimes leads to the silence of the Lord and the evidence of the silence of the Lord in our life because it's about us and not about him. Dad, is the voice of God silent in your home? What steps are you taking to make sure the voice of God is evidenced in your life? challenge myself in the same way. As my kids get older, the more things that we do, it makes it harder and harder for us to have established times where we have the word of God open. Can your family see the evidence of the voice of God in your life? Is the word of God spoken of often in your house or only in times of desperate need? Is the word of God spoken in a common language, meaning that it's a part of our conversation? Or does it feel weird and awkward? In reality, all of us should be asking ourselves these questions as the Christian life is only strengthened through community. It begins with us as a, our own personal relationship with God and then our families together. Samuel got to experience the silence of the Lord in a different way than we do. And yet, God's going to use his life here in just a minute to show some other things. That if we're really going to pray the prayer, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, 
I must then have surrender. Look at verse 10 with me. When, David, when Samuel begins to pray, or let's walk through the, the text again. Verse 2, and it came to pass at that time when Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see before, and before the lamp of the Lord went out in the tabernacle of the night where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, here am I. So he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. As we pause here for just a minute, as we see the reality of, of the Lord is calling on Samuel, and Samuel hasn't recognized the voice of the Lord yet, it wasn't a common thing for him to hear and experience because it wasn't a common thing in Eli's house. But yet the obedience of Samuel to the voice that's calling him grabs my attention. I wonder, as Eli's calling in the middle of, as, as God's calling Samuel's name in the middle of the night, if that was me as a dad or Eli sitting in there, what would my response be? Samuel, as he's coming, Samuel, go back to bed. There's nobody talking to you. Samuel, quit waking me up. It is interesting in our house, our kids just instinctively know. I, I thought it was interesting that Pastor Nathan even brought this out this morning. That when mom and dad, when mom's out of town compared to when dad's out of town, things are done differently. But even when mom and dad are at home, things are different. When the kids wake up in the middle of the night, you know who they wake up? Not dad. They wake up mom. Why? I don't know. Michelle's convinced that I've told them that only wake up mom ever. <laughs> I probably told them that in my sleep. I don't know. I don't recall. But they don't ever wake me up. And I think it's somewhat because I think if my kids were to wake me up in the middle of the night when I am deep into my sleep and I'm enjoying my, my time with my eyes closed for just the few hours that I get... That the last thing I want is my seven-year-old or six-year-old daughter to be standing there right in my face. Dad. Dad. Thinking that she has something important to tell me. And it's, I lost a tooth. <laughs> that couldn't wait till morning? Like, you had to tell me? Yay. I, I, I can only imagine maybe where Eli's at. We, scripture doesn't give us the tone of voice that's happening here. But the reality, Samuel's coming to, to Eli over and over three times. And he's about to experience something. And the third time is when Eli begins to perceive that God is calling him. And Samuel's life's about to be changed. He begins to take instruction. His willingness to serve together with his holy parentage and his child acceptance of religious instruction prepare Samuel to experience God in a new way. His lack of knowledge of God leads to confusion in the moment of the call, but eventually Eli, a man who at some point in his past understood and appreciated the ways of God, discerns that it is God who is calling him. 
And Samuel is about to enter this new experience with God, a relationship that Eli's sons never had. As chapter 2, verse 12 says, they had no regard, in essence, to know the Lord. God speaks to children and young people. And as he speaks to them, our adults, us as adults should make it easy for them to hear God's voice and to respond in faith. Eli was wise to know that it was God calling young Samuel, not making other excuses and say, quit talking to me, I'm trying to sleep. The training of children in spiritual things is a great responsibility that we must not neglect. You know, it's interesting as Samuel's name is being called as a young boy, probably more if this was a teenager, he might respond in a sense that if he turns over and maybe hopes that he didn't hear the voice and ignores, if he ignores it, it'll go away. That's me as a dad. If I just turn over and ignore it, they'll, they'll go away. I'll just pretend like I'm still sleeping. They won't know. I won't raise my hand if I've ever done that or not. But Samuel didn't recognize the voice of the Lord because the word of the Lord was rarely given at this time. But it does beg me to ask the question, we don't have the same avenues for the word of God that Samuel had or the, the, the limitations on the word of God that Samuel had. And my question to us is, can your kids recognize the voice of the Lord in their lives through your faithfulness and your faithful testimony of his working in your life? Because, folks, that's where it begins. This is not a prayer just for our children to make in surrendering, in the surrendering of their life to the Lord, but a prayer that we should make a habit of approaching God's word daily. So whether that is in our quiet time with him, our preaching time when we come to church, is our, is our time of, of coming here in preparation to say, God, speak to my heart today. Our ABF hour, where I'm challenged in my walk with the Lord. Our care group time, where I'm challenged with, my other, with other friends and believers in my walk with the Lord. Or simply any other Bible studies that we may have throughout the week. All of those instructional times are helpful in our time with the Lord. But I see something else. As God calls Samuel, he's calling him in the stillness of the night. Notice that God doesn't call Samuel's name in the middle of, of the day. When all the activities of the, of the temple are happening, when the synagogue is full of people, full of instruction and the busyness of the duties that he's doing, he waits until Samuel is sleeping and resting to call him. This doesn't mean that God only calls to us at night, although oftentimes it is the moment where we are most still. But I do think there is some application to be made in the sense that we, we need to take time to be still. We like the hustle and bustle of life, but it also becomes the excuse for why our relationship and our time with the Lord goes to the side. Or we limit our time with him because of the busyness of the day. And instead of pondering and meditating on the truths that we learned in our quiet time with him, we read a chapter and we say, thanks God, and we go about our way never thinking about it again. I like the value, I've used the camp illustration a few times tonight, but I like the value of being at camp. Why? Because they have no phones. 
There's no social media for them to watch or look at. There's no TikTok videos for them to see. There's no Twitch. All of those things are put away. I think one of the saddest realities, though, when you talk to most camp directors about what happens at a week of camp, on the, mostly on the teen, time, teen side than it is on the junior side, usually takes until about Wednesday night for hearts to be still and soft enough to hear the word. What does that tell us? I'm not saying get rid of our electronics and our media and all the other things that we have, but the reality is we probably spend way more time on those things than we do in fellowship with the Lord. That if it takes halfway through camp for our children to be ready to receive the word of God, because they're busy thinking about other things, they're going through withdrawals of their social media aspects, wondering what they've missed on their phones, that they can't sit still long enough to read and receive the word of God. It requires that I sit and I listen. I don't just read my chapter, my devotional book, and then tell God you must speak to me in the allotted time I've given to you. But I really sit down and say, God, I'm not getting up until I've heard your voice today. Maybe it means getting up a little earlier. Going to bed a little earlier. Taking the time to plead with God to speak into our lives. Then it takes commitment. When you get here to verse 10, after the third time, verse 8, the Lord called Samuel yet again the third time and he rose and went to Eli and Eli and said here I am for you did call me then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy therefore Eli said to Samuel go lie down and it shall be if he calls you that you must say speak Lord for your servant hears so Samuel went and lay down in his place Now the Lord came and stood and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant hears. The end of the phrase, the word hears, is one that's not just about listening, but a one that takes action. It's not just a, listening for the, for the command to be given in, but the reality acknowledgement and then to take a step of obedience. It's a word of heeding. That God, I will obey. God, I will listen. It's more than just hearing, but taking action to demonstrate acknowledgement of what was said. We work on our, with our kids on this, don't we? teaching them the difference between hearing what I say and actually obeying it, acknowledgement. That when I ask you to do something, the acknowledgement that you heard me is usually yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. And there's an expectation that comes after that. To demonstrate that you heard, you acknowledge with a yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, and then what happens? A demonstration by your actions. 
that you heard. The prayer here that Samuel is praying is not one that has stipulations to be put on. He doesn't say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears, but just please don't let it be in these areas. He doesn't limit where God can touch his life. He doesn't limit the the facets in which his ministry can be touched or his family can be touched or his vocation can be touched or his finances can be touched. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It's, It's wide open to acknowledge that God is in control. Nor can it be made on someone else's behalf. I can't commit for my kids. I can commit them to the Lord and say, God, they're yours. But at the end of the day, they've got to make their own commitment. Samuel has to make his own commitment. Hannah committed him to the Lord. And he's in the Lord's service here as he's working alongside of Eli. But at some point, Eli or Samuel had to make his own choice. I will commit. Speak, Lord. Cannot be made in the place of someone else. Meaning I can't go substitute myself in their place. Meaning I can't say, you know, I'm the dad. I know best for my kid. And we begin to tell God what we're going to do or how our kids are going to serve him. As with Hannah's prayer to give Samuel to the Lord, our prayer ought to be in the same fashion, given fully unto the Lord to use as he sees fit. God doesn't need your coaching skills. Meaning that he's got it figured out. He knows what he is doing. Folks, let me encourage us, never underestimate the power of prayer in a home. Hannah and Elkanah were people of prayer and God answered their prayers. And we are blessed today because of the dedication that Hannah did with no strings attached to give her child unto the Lord and say, use him in whatever way you choose. He is yours. I wonder how many times we commit. On Mother's Day, we do a committing service that says we are committing our child to the Lord. It really has no other value but to say as a public example and a testimony of God's grace in our life that we want our child committed to serving the Lord, but yet we kind of do that with strings attached. God, you can have my child as long as you don't take them away. God, you can have my child as long as you don't put them in this vocation. God, you can have my child as long as you don't mess up my plans for them. So let me ask a few questions as we end our time tonight, as our time is up. Are you putting stipulations on the ways that the Lord can speak to you? Are your kids off limits? Is your career off limits to the Lord? Are your hobbies off limits to the Lord? Would you truly want your kids to pray this same prayer? Are you prepared for the message the Lord may have for them? 
Are you prepared for him to use him them as they see as he sees fit? And okay with that? Are you content to let him guide and direct their paths? Or do you know better than he does? Many of us, our kids are going off to camp tomorrow for the week. The word of the Lord will not be silent. They will be removed from the distractions of their life. They will hear good preaching they will, that will convict, challenge, and even encourage them in their walk with the Lord. Are you prepared for them to return home with a message from the Lord saying, I've surrendered my life to the Lord. I'm going to be maybe a preacher, a teacher, or even a missionary. With that tug at your heartstrings in a way that says, oh, man. Or that would elate you with excitement to say, yes, please, God, use my child in whatever way you see fit. Not to say that surrendering our Lord to the Lord means that we're only limited to vocational ministry because we know we need good engineers, good Christian engineers, good Christian doctors, good Christian lawyers. But if we're afraid of how God might use our child, maybe for vocational service or ministry, then we're not ready to pray that prayer. And be cautious when your child does not to step in and interfere with what God might be trying to do. Are you willing to surrender the push for that scholarship that you had in mind for your child if God saw fit to use them other ways and in other places? As I surrender to the voice of God in my life, I find as we come to the end here of chapter three that the natural step is to obey. And our conclusion tonight will kind of lead us to that. When Samuel, I can only imagine, in the obedience to what God has said, he's gotten this vision from God or this message from the Lord. Look at verse 11 with me. Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his house forever from the iniquity which he knows because his sons had made themselves vile. And he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifices or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. I wonder if he slept. I mean, can you imagine if that's the first time God speaks to you? <laughs> Is you, uh, you're to give a death sentence? It's not a happy-go-lucky message of like, hey, I'm going to step in for Israel and I'm going to give them great victory in the next couple years and you're going to see this happening. It's, it's not a rah-rah chant that gets everybody on board and excited. It's, it's a message of doom and gloom. And one that's heavy for a 10-year-old boy to give. Can you imagine if your son had to give this message? I can only imagine as Samuel's laying in his bed thinking to himself, um, did I hear that wrong? Is that really what God said? I mean, maybe I'm just sleeping still. Maybe I didn't really hear that. Maybe, God, can you, are you sure? Can you repeat your message again? 
I don't know if Eli went back to bed or not. Eli probably could be possibly saying, why is God speaking to him and not to me? And in all reality, he passed over Eli because of his lack of desire to hear the Lord and respond to the Lord. God's word has a renewing and transforming force for all who respond to his call. The powerful spoken word of God in this passage transforms Samuel. And when we come to it in the same way, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. It will have its same transforming power in our life. It begins when we place our faith and trust in Christ and only grows from there to experience God in in ways that we never could imagine, but it only comes from our time with him. Folks, tonight, are you making speak, Lord? Do you approach the word of God, a habit, with speak, Lord, for your servant hears? Or is it just part of the routine that you go through and then wonder why God doesn't really speak? Is your heart open to him? Do you have strings attached that say, God, I'll use, you could use me however you want, but not in this way, this way, or this way. Don't touch these things. I promise you, making a habit of speak, Lord, for your servant hears will never disappoint in your walk with the Lord. And the way that he will speak into your life through his word will always bring such joy and contentment. Sometimes challenge, sometimes conviction. But when I know that I'm walking in step with him and his spirit is guiding and directing my life, there is joy. Then I can lead my family. And they can see the evidence in the same ways. Speak, Lord. May that be our prayer tonight. Let's ask God to help us.